Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 18. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Good morning. The word of the Lord. How are you? You have a good uh, spring bake? Yes? No? Did you have a spring break? No, oh, good. Did you travel? Good. Well, I, I want this morning for us to do a little traveling. We're going to travel to Rome. You up for that? At least we're going to travel to the Roman Empire. So you've got to, uh, you know, do that thing of imagining gladiators and legions and circuses and all that good stuff that went on in the Roman Empire. But we're going to travel to a, a little part of the Roman Empire that really wasn't that significant, um, but it's significant to us, and that's Israel. And Israel was a part of the Roman Empire. So that's where we're going. And we're going to look at um, a, a growing tension in Jesus' life. If you look at the life of Jesus, and it was actually Marianne who reminded me this morning that the Synoptic Gospels... A lot of the synoptic, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they spend a lot of time up in the northern part of Israel, and it's a lot about Jesus' miracles and his ministry in that part of the world. Well, John, a lot of John is more in the south, and we're moving towards Jerusalem. And in John's gospel, you get a growing tension, a conflict between Jesus and two groups of people. First of all, the religious authorities. Boo, the Pharisees. We all know that lot. 
But the other, the other growing tension is between Jesus and Rome. And what I want us to look at this morning and, and just remind ourselves in this Easter season on Palm Sunday as we head into Holy Week is that the Christian faith is not just a private deal between you and God. I mean, it is that, but it is also a public proclamation of a kingdom. Paul said in Ephesians, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you cannot read that and without saying, oh gosh, there's a kind of a bit of a conflict going on here. And we're very comfortable in the U.S. with face as a personal private thing. We've developed an entire national life that separates faith and national life, you know, the separation of state, church and state, right? It's a good thing, yeah? So we're very comfortable with this private part, but we're much less comfortable with this thing that we're going to see in this, uh, this encounter between Pontius Pilate, who represents Rome, and Jesus. That there is a confrontation going on here. And the titles we give to Jesus now, things like Son of God, King of Kings, Savior of the World, Prince of Peace, and Lord of All, there's another claimant to all those titles, every single one of them, at the same time. You know who that was? Caesar. All of those titles could be found on imperial Roman coins. And they were a way of conceiving salvation. And it is entirely legitimate to talk about the gospel of Caesar. Caesar had a gospel as well. It was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And it was a peace imposed with an iron fist. You will be peaceful, or you will die on a cross. Basically, that was the message. So in surely what it must be the longest, and you you biblical scholars can tell me, I don't think there's a a longer dialogue between anybody and Jesus, longer than this dialogue between Pontius Pilate and Jesus. I think it's probably the longest dialogue we have. It's like a mini-drama or a play. And John surely wants us to understand something by having it in there. It's not just like, oh, this happened, uh, by the way, just, uh, just so you know. There's an immense amount to be discovered in this dialogue. And by the end of this morning, I want us to have a little bit more sympathy for Pontius Pilate. He gets a bad rap, doesn't he? Pontius Pilate, he's like, for most of us, he's the sort of personification of evil. But really, he's just a guy. He's just a man who's been trying to you know, maintain a system called the Pax Romana. That's what he's doing. He's an operative, a kind of bureaucrat, really. There's this thing called the Roman peace, and we must keep the peace. And he's faced with a dilemma in Jesus. What am I going to do with this guy, Jesus? What am I going to do with him? And in a world, our world, that has not changed that much, it's an obviously true statement to say that all kingdoms, all kingdoms that have ever existed, that have been established by man, have been established by violence. Is that not true? Can you name me a single earthly kingdom that has not been established by violence? I'm a Brit, in case you hadn't noticed. We used to have this thing called the British Empire, and we are, as a country, still unpacking 
the violence that surrounded that empire. And we're not at the end of that story. All kingdoms are established by violence. And violence also physical, but also to truth. Something we call lies. And so Pilate has faced this, as we're going to face this morning, with this man called Jesus. And he doesn't know what to do with him. So he does what we all try to do when there are destabilizing influences. We try to assert control. We try to reassert control, reassert order, and reassert whatever kingdom we are part of. And the question for us this morning and throughout this holy week is if we pray every week as we do in church, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, how is that going to be different from any other kingdom that has ever existed? Shall we pray? And then we'll have a look at this text. So, Father, this morning, we are entering into Holy Week. And, Lord, I was just reminded in preparing for this morning that it is uh, a serious business that we are entering into. That this Easter season really is an opportunity to us to re-encounter the gospel in its context, the gospel in our world as it is, the gospel in and amongst the empires of this world. So, Father, I pray this morning, as I always do, that, Lord, you would be the loudest voice, that you would speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, see, uh, let's set the scene for the encounter uh, between Pontius Pilate and Jesus. Pontius Pilate is a Roman governor. He represents Herod and Rome. He's in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. You know the Passover, the big Jewish festival. Why is he there? Well, he normally doesn't reside in Jerusalem. He lives outside of Jerusalem in a little place called Caesarea Maritima. But the Passover was a time when often and frequently in Jesus's, uh, I'm sorry, in Israel's history... There had been uprisings. It's a bit like, imagine that America is living under oppression, say, let's just say, pick a random nation that might oppress you. Oh, the Brits. Okay, let's say that the Brits had reasserted the empire here in the United States. And go, you know, guess what would happen around July 4th? That would be a great time to stage another uprising, wouldn't it? And it's a bit like that uh, at the Passover. The Passover was a time when revolts against Roman rule often and frequently did erupt. So Pilate is coming to uh, Jerusalem to make sure everything's okay. Now, interestingly, he enters this sort of military parade from the west of the city. And at the same time that Pilate is entering from the west, there's another claimant to the king entering from the east, riding a donkey. It's Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. So you have two representations of power entering Jerusalem at the same time. And you know how the story goes. Jesus enters. He's just, uh, celebrated as a king by the crowds who think he's the Messiah, who's going to liberate them from Rome. There were people in that crowd who were not just happy people waving branches, you know, happy peace and love people. There were people, almost certainly people in that crowd is like, we're ready to fight. This is our moment. We're ready to fight. And you know how the story goes. A few days later, the religious authorities arrange for Jesus' arrest. It's no accident because it's now. They know the Roman governor is in town. 
And then this is what we read. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from, Caiaph from Caiaphas, that's the religious leader, to the palace of the Roman governor. This is their big power play. Now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. You've got to love the religious leaders of Israel. They are always getting it wrong. This is a pivotal moment in history. And really what they're concerned about is we don't want to walk into a Gentile house so we can do it and go and do our Passover. Because if you go into a Gentile house, you're then unclean, so you then can't eat the Passover. That's what they're thinking about. So anyway, Pilate comes out to them, so he has to come out because they won't come in because they didn't want to be unclean. And he comes out to them and says, what charges are you bringing against this man? And they say, if he were not a criminal, they wouldn't, we would uh, not have handed him over to you. And Pilate says, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. He's a shrewd governor. He's shrewd because he knows that under Roman law, Jesus cannot be executed. They, the Jewish authorities, could not execute anybody. And this, in fact, that's exactly what they say, but we have no right to execute him. We can't do that, they objected. And this took place, John records, to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. In other words, the, religion, uh, the religious authorities can't execute anybody. That's Roman law. But guess who can? Pilate. Oh, the Romans can execute anybody they want. Oh, absolutely, no problem. And the most favored method of execution for up, you know, insurrectionists and people who rise up against Rome is what? The cross. So here's the first question that is now facing Pilate. Pilate, Roman governor, let's just say he's a good guy, just trying to maintain order. And he's got to say, okay, I've got this guy in front of me now, and it seems to me that the Jews are saying he's a king, or at least some of them are. So is this a kind of local problem? Well, you know, we have these puppet kings, and now there's a sort of rival puppet king. And so I've just got to sort that out. Uh, you know, and if he is a king, what kind of a king is he? What kind of a king is Jesus? I mean, what would you say? If I were to ask you, I'd say, well, you say Jesus, you're, you, you go to church, is Jesus a king? Oh, yes. Oh, he's a king. Yeah, yeah. Well, what kind of a king? more of a king than your president? Who's in charge? It's one of the great stories we are facing in this nation. We're all caught up in it in the U.S. That sense that, you know, what do we do with this thing that we used to call, or maybe we didn't call it, but it just was reality, Christendom. That there was a sense that, I don't know how to say this without being controversial, but, um, you know, the Christians were in charge somewhat, right? A little bit, maybe had a little bit of sense of that. And now there's a little bit less of a sense of that. And so we're asking ourselves as the church, the church as a whole, what is this relationship between Christianity and our sense of nationhood and all those sorts of questions are coming up. And in the context of that, what does it mean to say Jesus is a king? What does it mean to you? This is what Brian Zand, who wrote uh, a little book called Postcards from Babylon, which I don't recommend you read. You can buy it on Amazon, um, called Postcards from Babylon. And um, he's a little bit controversial, but he is very interesting on this whole thing of Christians and violence. It's an important question for us to face at this time. And this is what he says. It took an encounter 
with the risen Jesus to open their eyes to the truth. That Christ would not bring the kingdom of God, that kingdoms have kings, we would not bring the kingdom of God with a slashing sword on a battlefield, but with blessed and broken bread on the communion table. Those lamenting the end of Christendom are grieving over what was a mistaken idea all along. The kingdom of God does not come through political force and cultural dominance, but through counter-imperial practices of baptism and Eucharist. Does that sound controversial to you? I hope not. Baptism, dying and rising to a new kind of life. Eucharist, communing and being broken for the sake of the world. It's a different way of being a king, isn't it? It's a different kind of kingdom. But can you imagine what that sort of talk would do to a man like Pilate, who was there to impose the Pax Romana and the kingdom of Rome? So Jesus goes on to say it explicitly to Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And Pilate just can't get his head around this. So you are a king then, he says? I'm just trying to understand who you are. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the truth is to testify. Born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Oof. And then you get this famous statement that echoes through the centuries. What is truth? And it's amazing to me, we're 2,000 years ago, we're in uh, you know, the little corner of the Roman Empire, and he's anticipating another man who asked that question very painfully around the turn of the last century, a man, I don't know if you've ever went to, you know, come across or studied the works of Friedrich, Friedrich Nietzsche. You ever studied Nietzsche? Nietzsche? Is that how you say it? Yeah. And Nietzsche said this, whichever interpretation prevails at a given time is a function of power and not truth. Whatever you think is true is just because there are powers in the world that tell you it's true. And whoever has power, they get to define what is true and what is not. And just imagine, put yourselves, have a little sympathy and empathy for Pilate at this moment. He has lived in a world where he has seen what power does. He has seen people being executed again and again and again. And Rome saying, we are the eternal empire. We will tell you what truth is and what it is not. It's all fake news until you have power. That's the way the world rumbles, isn't it? And in case you haven't noticed, I mean, it's one of the things that uh, you know, has been so profoundly shocking to me in this whole thing that's going on in a little part of Europe, in Eastern Europe. It's so, I can't get my head around it. Here we are again. I thought we'd grown up a little bit as humanity. And here we are again. It's about power and truth and who gets to define the truth, and who gets to have the power. And that's the conflict Jesus walks straight into. He doesn't walk around it. He doesn't say, oh, well, you know, I'm somewhere else. He says no. And he walks towards Jerusalem, where all these things are at play. 
So since Pilate doesn't want to start an uprising by executing a popular Jewish healer and preacher, that would get him into trouble. If you know, there was an uprising in Jerusalem, that would not go down well with his boss, Herod. Remember King Herod? There's another king. There are lots of kings around in this part of the world. Or even Caesar. He'd get in trouble with Caesar, and Caesar was not known for his empathetic reactions to failure. So he's hoping that you know, he can just deal with this little problem and get rid of Jesus. So he went out to the Jews again, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. I can't find anything that's wrong with this guy. But it's your custom, he's hoping here, it's a little, you know, winging it a little bit, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews, Jesus? And they said, no, no, don't release him. Let's give us Barabbas. And we read, now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Don't give us Jesus, give us Barabbas. And again, John is seeing an incredible irony here. What does the name Barabbas mean? It means Bar-Abbas. Bar means son, Abbas means father. So the Barabbas, his name is son of the father. So you have Jesus, who is son of the father, and you have Barabbas, who is son of the father. And which is the true son? One is a violent revolutionary and a robber, and one is Jesus. Are they the same in kind, just different people, or is there something utterly different about Jesus? That's the question. But Pilate doesn't know the answer to that. So when the crowd cry for release for Barabbas and not Jesus, Pilate, in the end, gives in to the one thing he knows will work. He does what the world always does in the end when it comes to trouble and challenges, serious challenges to power. In the end, Pilate himself tries violence. Let's try violence. Isn't that always, in the end, the answer? It's the logic of the world. So Pilate takes Jesus and has him flogged. Not a nice little whipping. Not six of the best, as he used to get back home at school with a cricket bat. You think I'm joking. It was a different, different era. No, he hasn't flogged. That's bringing him near to the point of death. Perhaps Pilate reasons in a violent world, a little violence will sort this one out too. So he tries that out, and once more Pilate comes out and says to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. I flogged him. That didn't seem to make any difference. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, this is, we didn't read this this morning, it comes a bit later, a sort of mockery of kingship. You remember the thing that the Roman, the, they, they sort of mock Jesus and said, are you really a king? We know who's in power here. It's Rome. It's Rome. And Pilate said to them, here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. He knows they can't. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die. Because, and here's the really big one for Pilate, he claimed to be the son of God. Now, who is the other claimant on the way in the world stage to Son of God? Caesar. 
So now we have a big problem, Houston. This is not just a local conflict about a local king, another puppet king making a claim. This is a man who is challenging directly Caesar's authority. Remember what was written on all those imperial coins. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? Who are you? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize, I have power. I have power. I have power. Just so you know. To either free you or crucify you. And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Now, what's the first thought that Pilate would have when he heard that? Who gives him power from above? Caesar. Is that what Jesus meant? No. It's as if Jesus in this moment says to Pilate, and he says to us, Pilate, you think you're in control of your life, your own life. But really you're not. You're just a part of this divine drama that is unfolding around you. And, you know, I've just been struck again in this season, after the COVID thing, after everything else, yet again, we're not in control. We are not in control. We're not. We'd love to be. I'd love to be. It's like Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. You're just not in control. I mean, there are parts of your life you can control, but there are things that can happen to you in family, neighborhoods, nations, globally, you cannot control. So Jesus faces Pilate, and Pilate faces Jesus. And Pilate looks at Jesus, and he says, I know you're a king, and that's what you say, but you're like, unlike any king I've ever come across or the world has ever seen. You're an accused criminal, and you speak about truth, yet you refuse to defend yourself. You claim to have power, but it's not power as I understand it, Pilate, or we understand it. Jesus was the one arrested, but somehow Pilate senses that actually Jesus is the one who's in control of events. And it's actually Pilate's wife. If you're married, it's always the wife who sees the truth, isn't it? In the end. Pilate's wife, and this is recorded in Matthew, says, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Don't have anything to do. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Pilate's wife sees there's something here that you, Pilate, cannot get around. You cannot get in control of. Just wash your hands of him. And of course, famously, in the end, that's what Pilate does. He washes his hands of the whole thing. So where are we going to end this morning? I, I want to suggest to you that we're actually much more like Pilate than we would like to admit. We're probably pretty decent people, most of you. I haven't met you all. You seem like reasonable people to me. Most of you feel seem relatively normal. Some of you, I'm not so sure. But, you know. 
We're just trying to keep things going, trying to maintain the status quo so that life can happen around us. And we're all part of some kind of empire. I know that's shocking for you to hear, but hear it from a Brit who used to have an empire. America, you are now the dominant force on the face of this planet. Do you know that? Why are you all looking so solemn and puzzled? You have the biggest army, the biggest economy, you are the most powerful nation, and everybody still looks to America. What happens in America changes things all over the world. That's true, isn't it? Please nod your heads. It is true. So you, we, I'm an American, I'm a citizen, we are the great empire of this world. So if we think we're going to get away with looking at Jesus and living our lives towards Jesus and never experience any conflict with our sense of empire, our sense of who we are, we've got to be kidding ourselves. It's not going to happen because Jesus confronts empire. He confronts violence. He confronts lies in all their forms, wherever they come from. And I would love to be in control of every aspect of my life, but I'm not. I'd love to have a journey of faith that is safe, but it's not safe. It is good. Do you remember that famous little uh, quote from C.S. Lewis? The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Where One of the kids asks, is this lion who represents Jesus safe? And the beaver, who's one of the characters in the story, says, safe? Said, Mr. Beaver, don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? There you are, that's the wife, again. (laughs) Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. And so here we are, Palm Sunday, Easter on the horizon. Thank God Easter ends with resurrection and hope. But Palm Sunday and this week, Holy Week, And the journey to the cross, if we will look at it honestly, honestly is deeply troubling. Because it leads us to confront the reality of power and violence and its place in our world and our lives and how we respond to that. Jesus' life leads us to confront Rome. There is no other option. And the invitation in that moment is somehow not to be like Pontius Pilate. Don't try and solve it all. Stop trying to fix things and fix our eyes on Jesus. And I say that not as a glib statement. It means fix our eyes on Jesus through his word, by the Spirit, and let him talk to us about what he wants to talk to us about. That's Pontius Pilate's big mistake, isn't it? He never says, hey, Jesus, just sit down and you tell me what you want to tell me. He's always trying to be in control of the conversation. Fixing our eyes on Jesus means being willing to stay in dialogue with Jesus through the Scripture, through the Spirit, even when we don't want to, even when it's difficult. So my apologies if we got a little dark this morning. But I couldn't find find it in myself to go anywhere else. Easter is serious stuff. Easter is not all about bunnies and chocolate. I know you know that. It's actually a reminder of the darkness of this violent world, as if we needed one and a God who is willing to enter into that darkness. Not skip around it, not explain it away. 
And it's a reminder that we do not need in this world another king like all the other world's kings that have gone before. We need an utterly other kind of king who brings an utterly other kind of kingdom. And that is what Easter is all about. Are you up for it? Let's stand and we'll pray. So, Father, this morning, we are on the beginning of a journey into um, Holy Week. And uh, as, we, um, as we encounter the, the Easter narrative again, whether for the first time or for the hundredth time, as we journey towards the cross, as we journey towards your answer to all of these questions that I've raised this morning, I pray you would refresh our hearts and minds to hear from you, to receive from you the truth of Jesus. That we would learn again to fix our eyes on Jesus and let him tell us what it means to be a king and what it means to follow. What it means to follow a king like Jesus. Lord, we don't know how to do it in our own strength. So help us in the power of your spirit. Amen. Y'all may be seated. We're going to respond in song, so I just invite you all to feel free to sing along or just listen and reflect during this time. Say. 